Uh, we have two missions. One is to reach our community for Christ. So I moved specifically into the middle of a bush in Uganda, Africa. It was crazy. There was no running water, no uh, electricity. I took my hot wife and, uh, and three kids. I, when I first moved to Uganda, it was a three-month-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old. And uh, after three years of living in Uganda, we moved to this small little village. And see, most of Uganda, they are doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no knowledge of the king. So everybody's just sleeping around, producing kids. Everybody's beating their wives and, and mistreating one another, not, not loving each other, just given over to the lusts and passions of their own bodies. And as a result of that, nobody's happy. So we came to that community and said, one message, there is a king, everybody, there is a, king. there is a, king. and his way is the best, and his way is the, yes. there is a, king. and his way is the, yes. there is a, king. and his way is the, yes. and his way is the, yes. and there is a, king. good, that was our message, that was our message, we started a primary school, we started with kindergarten, then we added first grade and second grade because we wanted all of these kids that were coming from broken homes, we wanted to train them in the king and his way. That's discipleship, right? All authority has been given to me. Therefore, since I'm the king, go and make followers of me. That's the great commission. And so we went and we began to we put a primary school together, we put a medical center, and we put disability ministry to all minister to our community. And literally 16 years later, I've been there 20 years, 19 years, 16 years later in this village, today we have a church of 500 worshiping the Lord today. Can we praise the Lord for that? <clears throat> and can I tell you something? They're happy. Our gospel transforms. Our gospel works. Our gospel is real. You see, they had got so tired of living after their own lust and after their own sin and producing unhappiness everywhere, confusion, where you have a family filled with, three with five different kids from three different men, not bringing joy, not bringing satisfaction, not bringing peace, because it's just running after the lusts and passions of your flesh and ending in nothing, that by the time we came in with that message that there is a, and his way is the, by the time we got done with that message, and they began to follow the king, they began to experience the joy that God designs. When God says, come unto me, all ye weary and heavy laden, come and find rest, what is he wanting for us? He's wanting us to know the joy. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, 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 and pastors and friends, teach them to follow the king. Not a bunch of man-made rules. The king's rules are all they need, teach them to enjoy God's rule, enjoy his leading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He makes me lie down in this, the, the da, 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 da. And, and he says, listen, even though you go through the valleys of the shadow of death, even though you sit at a table with your enemy, loving kindness will follow you, really pursue you all the days of your life. God as your shepherd will make it so that you don't want, so that you're satisfied in him. 
And see, everything you do in your life is a decision that I'm going to obey the king and honor him or not. And everything will have results. If you obey him, you'll have joy. If you don't, you'll have pain, right? So this is the message that we brought to our community. And I'm so consumed with this message that I I then began to train pastors. We take pastors. So we've been working with the Baptist Union of Uganda, 1,500 Baptist churches. My brother is the leader of it. Come on, clap for him one more time. So we're helping these pastors to do something. You know what we're helping them do? Follow the king and proclaim the king. You see, God has communicated his word and created pastors who are, to, who are to take the king's word and they're to be heralds, biblical word, a herald of someone who proclaims the voice of the king. They're a preacher as a herald. We're out there proclaiming the voice of the king everywhere, the voice of the king everywhere, calling everyone everywhere to follow the so that God can joyfully, joyously reign in the hearts of people. Let me just tell you something. Marry one wife, be committed to your life, and you know what? That is the best. I can promise you by the authority of God's word. Give your life and your body to one person that's your spouse for life. Let me tell you, that's the best. Any other thing will destroy you and destroy your life. So when we began to train these pastors to follow the king, literally, Many of them hadn't known. This is awesome. This is like, <laughs> is that a little distracting as I preach? Um, we began to teach the pastors to follow the king. Then we literally, uh, we take, take 60 men, we train them, and we then invite 30 men to come back for a degree program and bring their families so we can teach the families to follow their king. Because we don't want these men beating their wives. We want them loving them. We want them loving their kids. And then what happens? We want to then send them out of here so that they can go back into their villages and help their villages what? Follow the... (laughs) You guys are smart. Just like we have sought to do in our own community. And that's the way we'll bring joy to the nations. And that's what God's heart is. And I say all that to you so that you'll know that God's longing and God's heart is that you would know him as king, and you would enjoy him forever. I say the chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God by serving him as king forever. You see, as you serve him as king, you glorify him. They say, how is your marriage so good? Well, it's because I know the... And so, wow, my life has been so sweet, so sweet, those kids right there are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Because of the king, because of the king and just following in obedience to the king. See, what made David a king after God's own heart is because he led Israel to follow the king. What made Saul a bad king is he led Israel to follow himself. And so pastors, you have one job, and that is to get all of the kids around you to follow the king, to walk right in that God's way so for their good, Right? The message is simple. That's our ministry in Uganda. I pray that we could partner with you as a church in one way or another. We beg you to help us, and we would love that. I'd love to come and and have you guys come to Uganda and serve the Lord with me there. Come on. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) 
Just kidding. I want to start our time off together by sharing a story about a group of men from Uganda. In the year 1886, a young man by the name of Matthias Mulimba and his friends decided to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior and King. And as Matthias and his friends began to grow and learn more about God and his word, they started realizing some of the cultural practices that were going on in their country were not pleasing to their new master. So they immediately stopped practicing them. Well, when the Ugandan king, known as Kabaka Mwanga, was informed of these boys' behavior, he ordered that these that they be loyal to the cultural practices and to him. And regardless of the king's edict, Matthias and his friends remained loyal to their God and king. And when King Muwanga was informed by some of his loyal servants that these young men were more loyal to God than him, he immediately ordered that these men be executed. On June 3rd, 1886, Matthias and his friends were wrapped in firewood and set on fire till they were ultimately burned to death. I serve, I share this story with you because it provides a living example of the loyalty that we as true servants of the king will have to our God. It shows the type of loyalty that each one of us must give to his majesty. And I recognize that in this room here, there's many of us hearing about this, and, and, and our interest is, wasn't even to hear these messages. It was more to kind of go along with the crowd. And the Lord has grabbed your attention and grabbed your heart, and you're just like, what, what do I do with this? Well, I want to follow the king. And, and there's also some of you here that say, I want to be loyal to God. I want to follow him. But I can't. And I don't know why. Why can't I? Why can't I surrender all to Christ? I know that it's what I need to do, but I can't do it. Help me. And there's also some of you here that really you don't care. You didn't care when you came in, and you certainly don't care now. And you need a message for you as well. Well, in this message that we have together, I, I want to try and address all of you, and I want to, again, address you with four questions and four answers. Four questions and four answers. But before I do it, I want to call upon God once again to help us in this time we have together. Father, we come to you completely dependent on you yet again. Lord, especially as our bodies get tired, those donuts find their way to 
our brains and make us want to go sleep. Lord, we just ask that you would, in your kindness, that your spirit would move in this place, descend in such a way that, that we all knew you were here because you transform hearts. Father, will you do that among us? Will you help people here be born again? Will you help them understand the problem within that they might find the Savior from without? Will you do a work in and through us, we pray. Amen. The message that we have will have some aspects that you're like, uh, of course. But stick with me as we explain these things so that you could see them with clarity. Because I think that sometimes in Christianity, we have the right terms, but we have the wrong definitions. And that's how Satan always works. He changes the definitions. And so we get so used to the terms that we stop looking from within. Question number one, what is man's problem? What is mankind's problem? We all know the answer to this question. We know from Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that the Bible makes it very clear. It says this, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man. Who was that man? It was Adam. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death has spread to all men, and therefore all have what? Sin. We know very clearly that Adam created a massive problem for humanity, and that is that his sin resulted in sin being passed to every single person on the entire universe. Every single person is born in sin. Every single person. So someone is either in sin or they've been saved from sin, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But look around the world. I mean, you look at some of the things going on in politics, and you think, this is absolutely what? crazy. Someone wakes up and says that I'm, 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 I feel like I'm a, a girl today. You're like, what? You're a freak. Right? I mean, that's, and, and what's found, funny is even me saying that, somebody says, well, you can't say that. Well, it's because things have become so out of control, so crazy that we've lost our minds. Am I Right? And as a Christian community, we can easily look in on this and say, wait, something's not right. Something's not right. What's going on? What we understand is that mankind, sin has entered into mankind, and as a result, all have become sinners. We're born into sin. Now, I can hear some of you already saying that, you know, like you're telling me something I know already, Shannon. <laughs> I mean, come on. Tell me something I don't know. Listen, you may know that you are born in sin, 
But I would suggest that the majority in this room really don't understand what a sinner is. See, what do you mean? I want to suggest to you, most people here, we would define sin by missing the mark. Let me tell you, missing the mark is not the problem alone. You miss the mark because of a bigger problem. You miss the mark because there's something that came into you in the time of conception and entered into your person, into your bloodstream, and took control of your whole person. It is called sin. And because sin has entered in, sin then comes what? Out. Causing you then to miss the mark. I think our theological books only have it half right. And honestly, when I went to school, if you got 50%, that was failing. I think sin is far worse than missing the mark. And that brings me to the second question, and that is this. What is sin? What is sin? If your neighbor is really relaxed right now, go ahead and shake them up. Shake them up before I shake them up. Don't get so relaxed there, kiddo. Come on, sit up. I don't want you snoring and messing up your neighbor, all right? It's embarrassing if you start snoring, let alone insulting. It says I'm boring. What is sin? Sin can be defined from two different directions, two different perspectives. It can be defined by the perspective of deed, missing the mark. Your deeds are not right. You have missed the mark. From the perspective of deed, sin is often defined as a failure to conform to the moral law of God in act or attitude. But to define it from a deed is to miss the bigger issue, and that is sin as a nature. And that's the second way sin can be defined. Sin is a nature problem. I would suggest to you that sin is an evil power that controls the heart of unregenerate mankind. Are you hearing me? It's an evil power that controls the heart, mind, and emotions, the inner person of unbelieving mankind. And it is that nature that takes possession of all of humanity in the moment of their birth. From the day in which they are conceived Throughout their whole lives, they are totally controlled, totally dominated, totally enraptured in sin's nature. And therefore, humanity biblically is not having a free will. Biblically, you are not free to do what you want. You are actually, according to biblical theology, you are under the power of sin until God sets you free. I didn't understand this, and 
my early Christianity. But come with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Everybody turn your Bibles there. And I want to build into you this understanding because, you see, the way you'll know whether you're a true servant of the king or not is what controls you. And you're controlled of one of two things, either by the Spirit of God or by sin. One of two powers, either by the power of sin or the power of God's Spirit, one or the other. When you come to Romans 3, 9, and I'm going to exposit this for you and show you, this is what it says. Paul comes here and he he begins to say, the question that comes to him in verse 9 is, what then, are we Jews better off than the Gentiles? And his answer is what? I'm glad my only Ugandan friend in the room answered the question. How about the rest of you? Ready? Together. Here we go. What does he say? Not at what? Not at? Not at all. The Jews aren't better than the Gentiles, for we have already charged. We've already stated, and that's what he did from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 3, that both the Jews and the Greeks are what? Are what? See that word, under sin? And then he says, as it is written, and he defends the reality that man is under sin. You say, Shannon, what does this mean, under sin? This word under speaks of one being helplessly captive under sin's power. The phrase reveals the fact that mankind doesn't just do bad things, but is dominated by a power called sin. We're under sin's power, under sin's rule, under sin's empire, under sin's sway, under its control. All of humanity is dominated by this presence called sin. We get more insight into this in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, look there with me. And we'll come back to Romans chapter 3. But in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says this. For we know that our old self, that is our unbelieving self, was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be what? Are we together? Brought to, so that we would no longer be what? We would no longer be enslaved. For, the, for one who has died has been set, what? Free from sin. Interesting. picture is that of a man being in chains under the control of a master, unable to escape. Look with me in chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17, 
says it this way. So, now that it is no longer, oh, I'm in chapter 7, sorry, 617, he says, thanks be to what? God. Everybody, thanks be to who? God. Oh, you got to see that. Thanks be to who? God. God. Why? Why are we thanking God that though you once were what? Slaves. What were you? Slaves, Slaves of? You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Having been what? Verse 18. Having been what? Set free. And having become what? Slaves of writing. You see, there's a transforming work that took place right there. In verse 22, it adds, he says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become a slave of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see, we do deeds of sin because of the nature of sin. I want to illustrate this for you. Who would be so bold as to come up here and let me be? Come on, big man. Come on. I knew the godly guy was back there. Come on. Up here. Come on. Come on here. Let's do this. Ooh, that's scary. Let's see. Oh, there's a cord there. We're not doing that. But here, come right here. If you fall off, you can't sue me, okay? Okay, good deal. You saw that cameras are gonna Okay, good. You come sit right there, okay? You don't you're not we do this in Africa and America you worry about it, but So according to the biblical picture, according to the biblical picture, mankind has a problem. This is their problem. You know what, John, Joe Biden has a problem. You know what his problem? This is his problem. Your neighbor has a problem. You know what the problem is? This is the problem. Your neighbor right here has a problem. You know what his problem is? This is his problem. According to the Bible, he's under what? He's under what? Sin. He's under sin. You see, he may be saying, come on, come on, come on. Come. Come. But you don't understand that this man has a problem. His problem is called what? His problem is he's under sin and he can't come. You can tell him a hundred times, but he's unable to come because under sin, my guy, my friends. We sit there and we criticize the world, but listen, our Bible tells us what the problem is. They're under sin. This is the picture of humanity. 
Do we understand? You hang out there for one second, all right? That brings us to the third question. Someone take a picture of me with this guy. Look at this third problem. This third question is this, rather. It says, and how is this thing called sin affecting me? How is this thing called sin affecting humanity? How is it affecting, what's your name? Dawson. Dawson, Dawson, that? Yeah, you can take it. That's awesome. I'm going to go like that because I'm going to use your head for a second, okay? How is it affecting Dawson? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, go back there. It makes it very clear how it affects. He says, you're all under sin as it is what? As it is written, there's none what? Everybody, are you there with me? Romans 3, 9 started, says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one, according to the Bible, because this man is under sin, as a result of that, he's what? He's, un- he's unrighteous. That means everything he does is not right with God. The Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. A filthy rag in biblical times is a menstrual rag that's used to dry up blood. You want to come to God with your righteousness? You come and bring your menstrual rag to God and see how God responds. He'll respond just like anybody else does to a menstrual rag and says, get that away from me. Well, that's your righteousness before God. You are not righteous. There's none who are righteous, not even one, you're all caught in your sin. And, and see, sin then causes every deed you do to not be righteous. Listen, we, we can do righteous deeds, but are they really righteous? You see, righteousness involves God's respect. I'll look at that in a second. He tells us a second thing. He says, listen, not only as a result of us being under sin, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who what? understands, you see, this thing called sin affects one's head. So his head does not do what it wants. It thinks according to what? Sin. Sin. So you're under sin, so you can't understand. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, I think around verse 14, it says, the natural man does not understand the things of God. You say, what's a natural man? You know what a natural woman is? Anybody know what a natural woman is? Go ahead. What's a natural woman? You're natural. <laughs> a natural, you're not. You're far too pretty to be a natural woman. A natural woman, if she says that, we'll explain it. You tell me whether you are. She's a woman who never shaves. It's like, awesome. I love those kind of women. <laughs> you know, she never shaves. She just lets her hair grow. Never puts on makeup. Just lets everything grow because she's what? Natural. You see, someone left in their original condition, they don't understand the things of what? God, you sit here and you can try and explain them, but they don't what? They don't understand. Why? They're under? They're under? They're under? Not only that, but it says that, the thirdly, it says that they don't seek for God. 
You say, well, wait a second. I know friends, they seek for God. Listen, people are seeking after a God that will let them live any way they want. Not a God that they need to bend the knee to. Not a God that's a king that you have to surrender everything to. No way, no way, no way. They're seeking a king after their own liking that will let them live any way they want. But will make them feel good in the end of the day. Fourth description he gives here is he says that there's none who does good, not even one. You say, ah, look, the Bible's not true. <laughs> I know a lot of people that do good things. Let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? If I go and I take an old lady across the street, okay, I walk her across the street, is that a good deed? How many say yes? How many say no? How many are worried because you're going to trick you, huh? <laughs> you should be worried. Well, listen, if I walk that woman across the street and I go, hey, guys, look at me. Look how awesome I am. <laughs> is that a good deed or a bad deed? Bad. Why? Because the motivation is for self-glory instead of God's what? God's it's all for self you see, a deed is not determined by the deed, but it's determined by the motivation behind the deed. And listen, we've got many philanthropists around the world. I know many of them. They're free to give to SOS. I don't care your motive, but we'd like it to be godly, all right? But most people, they want their name on the building. They want this. They want that. They don't want to do it in secret. They want to do it because what's motivating behind most people's deeds is what? Is what? Sin. The last thing it says, he says, as a result of that, they, they don't do good. Rather, their throats are open graves. When you really look at their heart, it's just evil. He says in verse 18, the last thing, there is no what? Fear of God before their eyes. In the end of the day, listen, what they do, they do openly, belligerently, with no fear of God at all. Why? Because they are under? Sin. Under? Sin. Under sin. Young people. What Paul is saying is that sin causes you to not do what you want to do because it takes control of your mind, it takes control of your actions, it takes control of your emotions, it takes control of every part of your body. Listen, this is humanity. We can look at the world around us and say they're, they're going mad. Listen, they've always been mad. Because the church is not giving truth or restraint evil and they're being left to just go after their own pleasures and their own pleasures begin to inform their mind and this thing called sin takes control of everything so his heart is controlled by sin his emotions are controlled by sin everything's controlled by sin that's the state of affairs and we see it more today than we've ever seen it and I, I want you to look here are you doing all right? You still like me? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I want you to look at this for a moment. Look at it. Don't smile because you're not happy. <laughs> but the reason I want you to see it is because I want you to see 
the world around us. And my friends, if it doesn't break your heart, there's something wrong with you. I have a brother who lives a total gay lifestyle. I remember when he came to me when he was a youth pastor. He said, Shannon, I can't do this any longer. I said, what do you mean? I mean, what do you explain what you mean? And he says these words, you'll never understand. Listen, I understand. You see, the world around us needs Christians because there's only one thing, according to our gospel, that sets man free from sin, and it's called the gospel. It is through the power of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel of? Jesus Christ, for it is the what? It is the power of God for what? Salvation. Salvation from what? Sin. And you're armed with the gospel. You're the only hope the world has of being set free. And see, when God sets you free, what he does, stay right there, don't you think about going anywhere else. What he does is he comes and he takes your sin, your unrighteousness, and he what? He nails it on the cross. <laughs> and he clothes you and he forgives you by clothing you with his own what? Righteousness. Righteousness. You look cute in that. <laughs> Listen. That's humanity. Go ahead and back to your seats. Thank you very much. Come on, give a clap. You're okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, your hat. Wham! Oh, you look like Kansas City Chiefs. What? What? I mean, that happened during the season, right? You guys won the World what, Cup? No, that's baseball. The Super Bowl. I mean, what are you? What are you wooing me for? Gee, arrogant Kansas City Chief fans. You're under, no, just kidding. <laughs> Guys, with all seriousness, I want to come back to the subject at hand of what it is to be a servant of the king. Why don't some of you surrender to the king? Why don't you care about spiritual things? Why don't you have a passion for Christ? Because some of you in this room 
are under sin. You see, to be a Christian is not to know about spiritual things. It's not to know the truth of God's word. Many have known the truth of God's word but have been under what? Salvation comes when you are set free from sin. When you're born again, when you're transformed by the power of God's word from sin to righteousness. And it's at that moment when you repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ that salvation comes and, the, and all the work that Christ did on the cross becomes yours. But listen, it is not until that moment. And see, the law is, is communicated to you and communicated to you and communicated to you so that you can see that I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Why can't I change? Why can't I get right with God? Why can't I fix this problem? And the answer is because you can't. It's only God that can. And it's God showing you yourself so that you finally say, God, will you please save me? See, God is showing you you can't that you might see that he is your only what? Hope. And when he saves you, you live this life of full dependence upon him. Romans 6.17 again makes this clear and I want you to see it because this is salvation. You have one of two options. You are a slave of the one you what? Obey. Either what? Either what? Sin that leads to death. Sin that leads to? Or obedience, which leads to righteousness. What righteousness? The righteousness of Christ being imputed to you. Let me ask you, are you a servant, a slave of sin or a slave of Christ and righteousness? What are you a slave of? Huh? Can you ask yourself, please listen, please ask yourself, please ask yourself, because when I read my Bible, this death is eternal death. I was debating whether I preach on the king who judges. You see, God, in his love and kindness, he calls us all to follow him. And just like any king over his kingdom, all those who follow him are blessed by the king because they lived in subjection to that king and honored him. But anyone who lives in rebellion against the king at some point comes before that king and is what? 
judged. I mean, just like anything, if someone goes and he lives a lawless life, mistreating people, being, being in rebellion against the laws of the kingdom, any judge who's morally upright will judge that person. And so it is with God. And the Bible makes it very clear that this death is eternal death in hell, a place where there will be rejection from God throughout eternity. A place where they'll be pouring out of God's wrath throughout eternity. A place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where they'll be tormenting fire. A place where there'll be utter darkness. No rest night and day. And listen, it's for eternity. This is what the Bible says. The consequences of rejection of the universal king, the creator of the universe, is hell. And everyone must know it. Everyone must know it. Listen, the consequences of sin is death. Eternal death. And listen, we can't help but beg you to get right with God. Don't live your life in rebellion against God, please. Because the consequences are hell. The king has told us. You say, well, I don't believe the king. Well, listen, you're not the king. You're not the king. The king's voice makes it very clear. And we beg of you because we love you. And there's some of you who will not accept this. You just go on. And you live any way you want. But just know the whole time you live any way you want. That there is a judgment awaiting you as you stand face to face with that king. Why? Because you were a servant of Satan and his kingdom your whole life. Why? Because you wouldn't humble yourself as you sat in that chair seeing all your sin. And you wouldn't turn from the king. And God says, listen, I brought you to Ignite Conference. You didn't take it seriously. Depart from me. I wanted you to follow me. But you weren't willing. Last question before us is what do I do with this problem? Shannon, I see the problem. I recognize I'm not surrendered to Christ. I recognize I'm living any way I want. What do I do? Well, Luke 18, I think, gives a really vivid illustration of the reality of humanity. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, it's a story of a parable of one trusting in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt according to verse 9. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you for not making me like these other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. Thank you for making me so righteous and holy. And they look down on everybody else. Listen, and there's many in this room that are like that. 
you grew up in the church and you know, all you do is look down on everybody else because they're not as righteous as you. Thinking that somehow, some way, you're more righteous than anyone. Listen, your righteousness is as filthy rags. You too are a sinner. And that's why you judge everybody. That's why you look down on everybody because you're so in love with yourself that you can't even see your need for Christ. We have those people here. That person wasn't saved. You know it was saved? It's this person. Look what he says in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a what? Jesus himself, the judge of heaven and earth, says this. I tell you, this man went down to his house, declared righteous, rather than the other. For anyone who humbles himself will be, who exalts himself will be humbled, and anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, we all must come to the point We're on our knees realizing, I am a sinner. I am not righteous. Lord, will you please save me? Will you please save me? Will you please save me? God, I can't save myself. What do you do? Come to Christ. Cry out to him. Say sorry for living in rebellion against him and ask him to change you. The Bible says those who seek me will what? Will find me. The Bible makes it very clear that faith comes from hearing. Acknowledge your sin problem. Beat your breast. Cry out to God for mercy. Be like the Apostle Paul that said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Who will set me free from the body of death? And get up and then say, thanks be to God. John 8, 32, Jesus says, it is the truth that will set you free. That point, you get up and you read and consume this book and just watch God do the work in your heart. You get involved in church and let just be under the preaching. Get someone to say, disciple me, help me know God. Get that book quest and and just take me step by step through it so that I can know God. And you pursue God with all your heart and let God do the work. And you're going to look back and say, wow, I have been Set what? You see, what God does, he sets us free from. And you know what he does? He puts his spirit within us. And then the spirit is a seal of our future inheritance. And now we're controlled by the spirit and not by the sin. You say, well, why do Christians sin? Why? Because... In the end of the day, we're still in a world around us, and so sin can easily get us entangled. But what characterizes us is a life of righteousness. What characterizes us is a life that's surrendered to his majesty. 
Why? Because that's what a Christian is. And the Bible says we become slaves of righteousness. Not perfect. That's why there's the work of Christ. But we become obedient from the heart so that even when we sin, we're like God saying, no, no, no. Let me illustrate this before I close. I'm going to come to this side so you don't think I don't like you, all right? See, we're walking in this way. And when we get over here and we start listening, uh, let's, I'll come here. And you, know, you see these girls, come on, maybe I'll do this with you, you know, but no. Okay, last time I did, last time I was in this church, I used someone as an example. I didn't realize he was the first time visitor to the church. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm like, oh, he had a Hurley shirt on. I'm like, I love me. And so I pointed him out and... <laughs> It was literally the first time visitor. I chased that guy down to make sure I gave him a Bible. <laughs> a dork. But <laughs> first time visitor? No. Okay, then I can use you. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, you're, what, you're, what you are is you're coming here, and all of a sudden you realize, man, there are attractive girls. <laughs> you know? And then what happens is you start getting sucked in at these attractive <laughs> girls. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden you get off what? God's path. And God's saying, hey, stop it, stop it, because the Spirit of God's where? In you, convicting you, because you're a slave of what? Righteousness, because you're a slave of? And what happens, according to 1 Corinthians, Hebrews 13, the Lord will actually give you discipline to do what? To get you back on God's way, because he loves you. So even though you can struggle with sin, your orientation is what? Is righteousness. Make sense? Guys, I want you. <laughs> These things are awesome. <laughs> Guys, I want you to look within yourself. And I want you to ask yourself, to whom do I belong? Am I servant of the king or am I still belonging to the kingdom of Satan? Am I still being led by this? And if you recognize that you're not surrendered to the king, I want to beg of you for your own good and your own joy in this life. Cry out to God to save you. Will you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we I just want to thank you. Thank you for your gospel message. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, and I just ask that by your spirit, will you please show people where they are right now? That they might know how to respond to you. Lord, we are all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of the work of your son. 
And so, Lord, we just pray that everyone, that every believer here, if they are saved and they're truly saved, that they would rejoice. They would say with Paul, thanks be to God for setting me free. Or they would say, Lord, set me free. But Lord, may you do a work. May you set people free. There might be some here that dishonored you even last night when they're in their hotel. There may be some here who are struggling with homosexuality because they're so longing for love that they're willing to turn anywhere, even to what is unnatural. And they, sin has so controlled their mind where they're, they, they're even confused what is natural and unnatural. And Lord, we just pray that you, they would cry out to you and that you would do a work in their hearts and we yield to you that you would do the work. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. We ask that you would save people today. They'd see their need for you and they'd repent of their rebellion against you and bend their knee in submission to you. We ask this for the praise, glory, and honor of your name we pray. Amen.